This is section nine of Happy Homes and the Hearts That Make Them. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Happy Homes and the Hearts That Make Them by Samuel Smiles. Read by John Greenman. Chapter nine. Application and Perseverance. Our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. Confucius learn as if you were to live forever live as if you were to die to-morrow ancillus de insulis the greatest results in life are usually attained by simple means and the exercise of ordinary qualities the common life of every day with its cares necessities and duties affords ample opportunity for acquiring experience of the best kind and its most beaten paths provide the true worker with abundant scope for effort and room for self-improvement the road of human welfare lies along the old highway of steadfast well-doing and they who are the most persistent and work in the truest spirit will usually be the most successful fortune has often been blamed for her blindness but fortune is not so blind as men are those who look into practical life will find that fortune is usually on the side of the industrious as the winds and waves are on the side of the best navigators in the pursuit of even the highest branches of human inquiry the commoner qualities are found the most useful such as common sense attention application and perseverance genius may not be necessary though even genius of the highest sort does not disdain the use of these ordinary qualities the very greatest men have been among the least believers in the power of genius and as worldly wise and persevering as successful men of the commoner sort some have even defined genius to be only common sense intensified a distinguished teacher and president of a college spoke of it as the power of making efforts john foster held it to be the power of lighting one's own fire buffon said of genius it is patience newton's was unquestionably a mind of the very highest order and yet when asked by what means he had worked out his extraordinary discoveries he modestly answered by always thinking unto them at another time he thus expressed his method of study i keep the subject continually before me and wait till the first dawnings open slowly by little and little into a full and clear light it was in newton's case as in every other only by diligent application and perseverance that his great reputation was achieved even his recreation consisted in change of study laying down one subject to take up another to dr bentley he said if i have done the public any service it is due to nothing but industry and patient thought when the late president garfield began the study of finance he discovered that many of the best books upon that subject were written in the french language he immediately set himself at work to learn it and amid his diversified duties soon found time to so far conquer this language as to be able to both read and speak it well dalton the chemist repudiated the notion of his being a genius 
attributing everything which he had accomplished to simple industry and accumulation john hunter said of himself my mind is like a beehive but full as it is of buzz and apparent confusion it is yet full of order and regularity and food collected with incessant industry from the choicest stores of nature we have indeed but to glance at the biographies of great men to find that the most distinguished inventors artists thinkers and workers of all kinds owe their success in a great measure to their patient industry and application they were men who turned all things to gold even time itself disraeli the elder held that the secret of success consisted in being master of your subject such mastery being attainable only through continuous application and study hence it happens that the men who have most moved the world have not been so much men of genius strictly so called as men of intense mediocre abilities and untiring perseverance not so often the gifted of naturally bright and shining qualities as those who have applied themselves diligently to their work in whatsoever line that might lie hence a great point to be aimed at is to get the working quality well trained when that is done the race will be found comparatively easy we must repeat and again repeat facility will come with labor not even the simplest art can be accomplished without it and what difficulties it is found capable of achieving it was by early discipline and repetition that the late sir robert peel cultivated those remarkable though still mediocre powers which rendered him so illustrious an ornament of the british senate when a boy at drayton manor his father was accustomed to set him up at table to practice speaking extemporary and he early accustomed himself to repeat as much of the sunday sermon as he could remember little progress was made at first but by steady perseverance the habit of attention became powerful and the sermon was at length repeated almost verbatim when afterwards replying in succession to the arguments of his parliamentary opponents an art in which he was perhaps unrivalled it was little surmised that the extraordinary power of accurate remembrance which he displayed on such occasions had been originally trained under the discipline of his father in the parish church of drayton progress however of the best kind is comparatively slow great results cannot be achieved at once and we must be satisfied to advance in life as we walk step by step de maistre said that to know how to wait is the great secret of success we must sow before we can reap and often have to wait long content meanwhile to look patiently forward in hope the fruit best worth waiting for often ripening the slowest but time and patience says the eastern proverb change the mulberry leaf to satin to wait patiently however men must work cheerfully cheerfulness is an excellent working quality imparting great elasticity to the character as a bishop has said temper is nine-tenths of christianity so are cheerfulness and diligence nine-tenths of practical wisdom they are the life and soul of success as well as of happiness perhaps the very highest pleasure in life consisting in 
clear brisk conscious working energy confidence and every other good quality mainly depending upon it sydney smith when laboring as a parish priest at foston le clay in yorkshire though he did not feel himself to be in his proper element went cheerfully to work in the firm determination to do his best i am resolved he said to like it and reconcile myself to it which is more manly than to feign myself above it and to send up complaints by the post of being thrown away and being desolate and such like trash so dr hook when leaving leeds for a new sphere of labor said wherever i may be i shall by god's blessing do with my might what my hand findeth to do and if i do not find work i shall make it it was a maxim of dr young the philosopher that any man can do what any other man has done and it is unquestionable that he himself never recoiled from any trials to which he determined to subject himself it is related of him that the first time he mounted a horse he was in company with the grandson of mr barclay of uri the well-known sportsman when the horseman who preceded them leapt a high fence young wished to imitate him but fell off his horse in the attempt without saying a word he remounted made a second effort and was again unsuccessful but this time was not thrown further off than on the horse's neck to which he clung at the third trial he succeeded and cleared the fence the story of timur the tartar learning a lesson of perseverance under adversity from the spider is well known not less interesting is the anecdote of audubon the american ornithologist as related by himself an accident he says which happened to two hundred of my original drawings nearly put a stop to my researches in ornithology i shall relate it merely to show how far enthusiasm for by no other name can i call my perseverance may enable the preserver of nature to surmount the most disheartening difficulties i left the village of henderson in kentucky situated on the banks of the ohio where i resided for several years to proceed to philadelphia on business i looked to my drawings before my departure placed them carefully in a wooden box and gave them in charge of a relative with injunctions to see that no injury should happen to them my absence was of several months and when i returned after having enjoyed the pleasures of home for a few days i inquired after my box and what i was pleased to call my treasure the box was produced and opened but reader feel for me a pair of norway rats had taken possession of the whole and reared a young family among the gnawed bits of paper which but a month previous represented nearly a thousand inhabitants of air the burning heat which instantly rushed through my brain was too great to be endured without affecting my whole nervous system i slept for several nights and the days passed like days of oblivion until the animal powers being recalled into action through the strength of my constitution i took up my gun my notebook and my pencils and went forth to the woods as gaily as if nothing had happened i felt pleased that i might now make better drawings than before 
and ere a period not exceeding three years had elapsed my portfolio was again filled the accidental destruction of sir isaac newton's papers by his little dog diamond upsetting a lighted taper upon his desk by which the elaborate calculations of many years were in a moment destroyed is a well-known anecdote and need not be repeated it is said that the loss caused the philosopher such profound grief that it seriously injured his health and impaired his understanding an accident of a somewhat similar kind happened to the manuscript of mr carlyle's first volume of his french revolution he had lent the manuscript to a literary neighbor to peruse by some mischance it had been left lying on the parlor floor and become forgotten weeks ran on and the historian sent for his work the printers being loud for copy inquiries were made and it was found that the maid of all work finding what she conceived to be a bundle of waste paper on the floor had used it to light the kitchen and parlor fires such was the answer to return to mr carlyle and his feelings may be imagined there was however no help for him but to set resolutely to work to rewrite the book and he turned to and did it he had no draught and was compelled to rake up from his memory facts ideas and expressions which had been long since dismissed the composition of the book in the first instance had been a work of pleasure the writing of it a second time was one of pain and anguish almost beyond belief that he persevered and finished the volume under such circumstances affords an instance of determination of purpose which has seldom been surpassed the lives of eminent inventors are eminently illustrative of the same quality of perseverance george stephenson when addressing young men was accustomed to sum up his best advice to them in the words do as i have done persevere he had worked at the improvement of his locomotive for some fifteen years before achieving his decisive victory at rainhill and watt was engaged for some thirty years upon the condensing engine before he brought it to perfection but there are equally striking illustrations of perseverance to be found in every other branch of science art and industry perhaps one of the most interesting is that connected with the disentombment of the nineveh marbles and the discovery of the long-lost cuneiform or arrow-headed character in which the inscriptions on them are written a kind of writing which had been lost to the world since the period of the macedonian conquest of persia an intelligent cadet of the east india company stationed at kermanshah in persia had observed the curious cuneiform inscriptions on the old monuments in the neighborhood so old that all historical traces of them had been lost and amongst the inscriptions which he copied was that of the celebrated rock of behistun a perpendicular rock rising abruptly some seventeen hundred feet from the plain the lower part bearing inscriptions for the space of about three hundred feet in three languages persian scythian and assyrian comparison of the known with the unknown of the language which survived with the language that had been lost enabled this cadet to acquire some knowledge of the cuneiform character and even to form an alphabet mr rawlinson sent his tracings home for examination no professors in colleges as yet knew anything of the cuneiform character but there was a clerk of the east india house 
a modest unknown man by the name of norris who had made this little understood subject his study to whom the tracings were submitted and so accurate was his knowledge that though he had never seen the behistun rock he pronounced that the cadet had not copied the puzzling inscription with proper exactness rawlinson who was still in the neighborhood of the rock compared his copy with the original and found that norris was right and by further comparison and careful study the knowledge of the cuneiform writing was thus greatly advanced but to make the learning of these two self-taught men of avail a third laborer was necessary in order to supply them with material for the exercise of their skill such a laborer presented himself in the person of austin layard originally an articled clerk in the office of a london solicitor one would scarcely have expected to find in these three men a cadet an india house clerk and a lawyer's clerk the discoverers of a forgotten language and of the buried history of babylon yet it was so layard was a youth of only twenty-two travelling in the east when he was possessed with a desire to penetrate the region beyond the euphrates accompanied by a single companion trusting to his arms for protection and what was better to his cheerfulness politeness and chivalrous bearing he passed safely amidst tribes at deadly war with each other and after the lapse of many years with comparatively slender means at his command but aided by application and perseverance resolute will and purpose and almost sublime patience borne up throughout by his passionate enthusiasm for discovery and research he succeeded in laying bare and digging up an amount of historical treasures the like of which has probably never before been collected by the industry of any one man not less than two miles of bas-reliefs were thus brought to light by mr layard the selection of these valuable antiquities now placed in the british museum was found so curiously corroborative of the scriptural records of events which occurred some three thousand years ago that they burst upon the world almost like a new revelation and the story of the disentombment of these remarkable works as told by mr layard himself in his monuments of nineveh will always be regarded as one of the most charming and unaffected records which we possess of individual enterprise industry and energy the career of the comte de buffon presents another remarkable illustration of the power of patient industry as well as of his own saying that genius is patience notwithstanding the great results achieved by him in natural history buffon when a youth was regarded as of mediocre talents his mind was slow in forming itself and slow in reproducing what it had required he was also constitutionally indolent and being born to good estate it might be supposed that he would indulge his liking for ease and luxury instead of which he early formed the resolution of denying himself pleasure and devoting himself to study and self-culture regarding time as a treasure that was limited and finding that he was losing many hours by lying abed in the mornings he determined to break himself of the habit he struggled hard against it for some time but failed in being able to rise at the hour he had fixed he then called his servant joseph to his help and promised him the reward of a crown every time he succeeded in getting him up before six at first when called 
buffon declined to rise pleaded that he was ill or pretended anger at being disturbed and on the count at length getting up joseph found that he had earned nothing but reproaches for having permitted his master to lay a bed contrary to his express orders at length the valet determined to earn his crown and again and again he forced buffon to rise notwithstanding his entreaties expostulations and threats of immediate discharge from his service one morning buffon was unusually obstinate and joseph found it necessary to resort to the extreme measure of dashing a basin of ice-cold water under the bedclothes the effect of which was instantaneous by the persistent use of such means buffon at length conquered his habit and he was accustomed to say that he owed to joseph three or four volumes of his natural history for forty years of his life buffon worked every morning at his desk from nine till two and again in the evening from five till nine his diligence was so continuous and so regular that it became habitual his biographer has said of him work was his necessity his studies were the charm of his life and towards the last years of his glorious career he frequently said that he still hoped to be able to consecrate to them a few more years he was a most conscientious worker always studying to give the reader his best thoughts expressed in the very best manner he was never wearied with touching and retouching his compositions so that his style may be pronounced almost perfect he wrote the epoque de la nature not fewer than eleven times before he was satisfied with it although he had thought over the work about fifty years he was a thorough man of business most orderly in everything and he was accustomed to say that genius without order lost three-fourths of its power his great success as a writer was the result mainly of his painstaking labor and diligent application buffon observed madame necker strongly persuaded that genius is the result of a profound attention directed to a particular subject said that he was thoroughly wearied out when composing his first writings but compelled himself to return to them and go over them carefully again even when he thought he had already brought them to a certain degree of perfection and that at length he found pleasure instead of weariness in this long and elaborate correction it ought also to be added that buffon wrote and published all his great works while afflicted by one of the most painful diseases to which the human frame is subject true wisdom and humility are such that the more a man really knows the less conceited he is the student at trinity college who went up to his professor to take leave of him because he had finished his education was wisely rebuked by the professor's reply indeed i am only beginning mine the superficial person who has obtained a smattering of many things but knows nothing well may pride himself upon his gifts but the sage humbly confesses that all he knows is that he knows nothing or like newton that he has been only engaged in picking shells by the seashore while the great ocean of truth lies all unexplored before him loudon the landscape gardener was a man of extraordinary working power the son of a farmer near edinburgh he was early inured to work 
his skill in drawing plans and making sketches of scenery induced his father to train him for a landscape gardener during his apprenticeship he sat up two whole nights every week to study yet he worked harder during the day than any laborer in the course of his night studies he learnt french and before he was eighteen he translated a life of abelard for an encyclopedia he was so eager to make progress in life that when only twenty while working as a gardener in england he wrote down in his notebook i am now twenty years of age and perhaps a third part of my life has passed away and yet what have i done to benefit my fellow-men an unusual reflection for a youth of only twenty from french he proceeded to learn german and rapidly mastered that language having taken a large farm for the purpose of introducing scotch improvements in the art of agriculture he shortly succeeded in realizing a considerable income the continent being thrown open at the end of the war he travelled abroad for the purpose of inquiring into the system of gardening and agriculture in other countries he twice repeated his journeys and the results were published in his encyclopedias which are among the most remarkable works of their kind distinguished for the immense mass of useful matter which they contain collected by an amount of industry and labor which has rarely been equalled the career of samuel drew is not less remarkable than any of those which we have cited his father was a hard-working laborer of cornwall though poor he contrived to send his two sons to a penny-a-week school jabez the elder took delight in learning and made great progress in his lessons but samuel the younger was a dunce notoriously given to mischief and playing truant when he was eight years old he was put to manual labor earning three halfpence a day at ten he was apprenticed to a shoemaker and while in this employment he endured much hardship living as he used to say like a toad under a harrow he often thought of running away and becoming a pirate or something of the sort and he seems to have grown in recklessness as he grew in years in robbing orchards he was usually a leader and as he grew older he delighted to take part in any poaching or smuggling adventure when about seventeen before his apprenticeship was out he ran away intending to enter on board a man-of-war but sleeping in a hayfield at night cooled him a little and he returned to his trade drew next removed to the neighborhood of plymouth to work at the shoemaking business while there he had nearly lost his life in a smuggling exploit which he had joined partly induced by the love of adventure and partly by the love of gain for his regular wages were not more than eight shillings a week one night notice was given throughout crafthole that a smuggler was off the coast ready to land her cargo on which the male population of the place nearly all smugglers made for the shore one party remained on the rocks to make signals and dispose of the goods as they were landed and another manned the boats drew being of the latter party the night was intensely dark and very little of the cargo had been landed when the wind rose with a heavy sea the men in the boats however determined to persevere and several trips were made between the smuggler now standing farther out to sea and the shore one of the men in the boat in which drew was had his hat blown off by the wind and in attempting to recover it the boat was upset three of the men were immediately drowned 
the others clung to the boat for a time but finding it drifting out to sea they took to swimming they were two miles from land and the night was intensely dark after being about three hours in the water drew reached a rock near the shore with one or two others where he remained benumbed with cold till morning when he and his companions were discovered and taken off more dead than alive this was a very unpromising beginning of a life and yet this same drew scapegrace orchard robber shoemaker and smuggler outlived the recklessness of his youth and became distinguished as a minister of the gospel and a writer of good books happily before it was too late the energy which characterized him was turned into a more healthy direction and rendered him as eminent in usefulness as he had been before in wickedness his father again took him back and found employment for him as a journeyman shoemaker perhaps his recent escape from death had tended to make the young man serious as we shortly find him attracted by the forcible preaching of dr adam clark his brother having died about the same time the impression of seriousness was deepened and thenceforward he was an altered man he began anew the work of education for he had almost forgotten how to read and write and even after several years practice a friend compared his writing to the traces of a spider dipped in ink set to crawl upon paper speaking of himself about that time drew afterwards said the more i read the more i felt my own ignorance and the more i felt my ignorance the more invincible became my energy to surmount it every leisure moment was now employed in reading one thing or another having to support myself by manual labor my time for reading was but little and to overcome this disadvantage my usual method was to place a book before me while at meat and at every repast i read five or six pages the perusal of locke's essay on understanding gave the first metaphysical turn to his mind it awakened me from my stupor he said and induced me to form a resolution to abandon the groveling views which i had been accustomed to entertain drew began business on his own account with a capital of a few shillings but his character for steadiness was such that a neighboring miller offered him a loan which was accepted and success attending his industry the debt was repaid at the end of a year he started with a determination to owe no man anything and he held to it in the midst of many privations often he went to bed supperless to avoid rising in debt his ambition was to achieve independence by industry and economy and in this he gradually succeeded in the midst of incessant labor he sedulously strove to improve his mind studying astrology history and metaphysics he was induced to pursue the latter study chiefly because it required fewer books to consult than either of the others it appeared to be a thorny path he said but i determined nevertheless to enter and accordingly began to read it added to his labors in shoemaking and metaphysics drew became a local preacher and a class leader he took an eager interest in politics and his shop became a favorite resort with the village politicians and when they did not come to him he went to them to talk over public affairs this so encroached upon his time that he found it necessary sometimes to work until midnight to make up for the hours lost during the day 
his political fervor became the talk of the village while busy one night hammering away at a shoe sole a little boy seeing a light in the shop put his mouth to the keyhole of the door and called out in a shrill pipe shoemaker shoemaker work by night and run about by day a friend to whom drew afterwards told the story asked and did not you run after the boy and strap him no no was the reply had a pistol been fired off at my ear i could not have been more dismayed or confounded i dropped my work and said to myself true true but you shall never have that to say of me again to me that cry was as the voice of god and it has been a word in season throughout my life i learnt from it not to leave till to-morrow the work of to-day or to idle when i ought to be working from that moment drew dropped politics and stuck to his work reading and studying in his spare hours but he never allowed the latter pursuit to interfere with his business though it frequently broke in upon his rest he married and thought of emigrating to america but he remained working on his literary taste first took the direction of poetical composition and from some of the fragments which have been preserved it appears that his speculations as to the immateriality and immortality of the soul had their origin in these poetical musings his study was the kitchen where his wife's bellows served him for a desk and he wrote amidst the cries and cradlings of his children paine's age of reason having appeared about this time and excited much interest he composed a pamphlet in refutation of its arguments which was published he used afterwards to say that it was the age of reason that made him an author various pamphlets from his pen shortly appeared in rapid succession and a few years later while still working at shoemaking he wrote and published his admirable essay on the immateriality and immortality of the human soul which he sold for twenty pounds a great sum in his estimation at the time the book went through many editions and is still prized drew was in no wise puffed up by his success as many young authors are but long after he had become celebrated as a writer used to be seen sweeping the street before his door or helping his apprentices to carry in the winter's coal nor could he for some time bring himself to regard literature as a profession to live by his first care was to secure an honest livelihood by his business and to put into the lottery of literary success as he termed it only the surplus of his time at length however he devoted himself wholly to literature more particularly in connection with the wesleyan body editing one of their magazines and superintending the publication of several of their denominational works he also wrote in the eclectic review and compiled and published a valuable history of his native county cornwall with numerous other works towards the close of his career he said of himself raised from one of the lowest stations in society i have endeavored through life to bring my family into a state of respectability by honest industry frugality and a high regard for my moral character divine providence has smiled on my exertions and crowned my wishes with success End of chapter 9 
APPLICATION AND PERSEVERANCE Read by John Greenman.